You know why I'm so passionate about Music to Code By? Because it works. I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you who sail effortlessly through hours of coding. There's only one problem. They can't get enough. Well, not only are we up to track 13, but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price. The collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago, still only a little more than 4 bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only 3 bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1367, with guest Rob Menching. Recorded Friday, October 7th, 2016. Well, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We've got a good show lined up for you today. Uh, man, there's some crazy stuff going on in the world of gaming, Richard. Well, how so? Well, if you roll the crazy music, I'll tell you all about it. Awesome. All right, dude. What do you do? I normally like to banter with you for, you know, but I think this is worth talking about and I want to read this whole thing. So, turns out that uh, the Pokemon Go game. Yes, huge. Niantic, yeah, the company, is purging all rooted and jailbroken devices from the game to curb cheating. <laughs> so, this is a show, what is this, 1367? So, you go to 1367.pwop.me, brings you to an article on Forbes from September. So here's the problem. People are basically, you know, cheating and spoofing GPS locations so yeah. they can sit at home and, you know, virtually go all over the world and find, uh, um, you know, these Pokemon things before everybody else does. This is what the article says. The Pokemon Go community is currently sitting around waiting for the new buddy system update to go live on the Android and iOS stores. Almost everything about the update has leaked from players using APKs to get early access, but those who have gotten it have found an unfortunate development that many didn't see coming. As part of this new game update, Niantic is killing all support for Pokemon Go on rooted jailbroken devices. Here's their official word, and I quote, We continue to focus on eliminating bots and scrapers for Pokemon Go. Rooted or jailbroken devices are not supported by Pokemon Go. Remember to download Pokemon Go from the official Google Play Store or iTunes Store only. And this move is an attempt to further reduce cheating in the game as jailbroken rooted phones can somewhat easily install GPS spoofers to warp players around the world, leveling up quickly, planting themselves in ironclad gyms, and so on. There's also some thought that when Pokemon Go Plus comes out, which it already has... Rooted devices may be able to develop apps that trick or hack the device in ways that benefit players further, which would explain why this is happening now. Does it, you know, why do people have to ruin a good thing like that? Really? 
Well, yeah, you know, this is an interesting reality, right? It's like this, the, and the there's always going to be hackers and spoofers. Like that's real life. Sure. The real problem here is how you respond to it. So, and you imagine somebody's been playing the game totally legitimately, but has a jailbreak and foam for any number of reasons. That's right. Is now out. Yeah. There's a lot of people that jailbreak their phones just because they want to install apps that they've written themselves that yep. won't install otherwise or that kind of thing, you know, to get to the latest, uh, you know, Bob's OS or that kind of thing, you know, versions of Android that they might have tweaked themselves. Yes. So, and, and the funny part, of course, is I've played Ingress for years, which is Niantic's original game that a lot of the Pokemon Go uh, game is dependent on data-wise. Like ah. All of the locations and stuff that are in Pokemon Go, they're all Ingress data, mm. which has created its own set of problems, but it's, it is very interesting. It's just that, you know, Ingress had a smaller appeal. It, it, it just hasn't been hacked as hard. But Niantic's making a mistake. You will lose this battle. Well, what are they going to do, though, otherwise? How do they... You, ha you have to watch the data. Yeah. Okay? The reality here is people who want to cheat are looking for easy ways to do things. If you make it harder to cheat than to just play the game, then they won't cheat. Right. right? I mean, if you're using GPS spoofing, you're going to move faster than humans can move. Right. And if that's if you just take that capability out and ban them that way... Right. You're way better off than just going all jailbroken phones. Yeah, that's a very good point, Richard. Well, anyway, I thought it was an interesting, uh, you know, first world problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been watching for great GPS related games for a long time. And while I'm not playing Pokemon Go, uh, I, you know, it's always an interest of mine, certainly. And it is an interesting battle to try and do these things right. It's a great idea. And even if it's, I mean, this is around Pokemon, but it, but games that get you out in the world and... Yeah. Uh, You've you've done them obviously own this world you became number yep. one at that yes yeah and and again that's a, that's a fascination and how you collaborate with people is also interesting like one of the things Niantic did a very good job at Ingress is the story is way bigger than any individual player yeah and I'm waiting to see if they have that for Pokemon Go but I think they got completely overwhelmed way mm. too many people played it all at once and and they just could not keep up with deployment mm. and then the a level of hacking that has occurred is so high. They've, they've just sort of gotten to these draconian measures, and threw it's just going to undermine the whole thing. Yeah, threw up their hands. All right. Well, anyway, that's what I got. An interesting story. Who's talking to us, Richard? Uh, grabbed a comment off the show 1275, the one we did with Robert Schieffer, when we talked about MS Deploy. Remember that whole series of shows we did around deployment and so forth? And yeah. It was Rob who popped up and goes, you know, MS Deploy does work. You just have to know how to use it. Right. right? And uh, it was a good, really fun conversation and generated a lot of uh, of comments back yep. and forth. And one of them here from a few months ago is Johan Lino, who said, Hi, first of all, great show. I started working with automated builds and MS Deploy a couple of years back and have since used it for many of my projects, along with DACPAC for databases, which is the uh, Microsoft database tools Yep, that handle those problems as well. What I found to be the biggest hurdle is that MS Deploy and DAC Pack, et cetera, have a very steep learning curve. I think part of that is just bad documentation. Uh, what I mean is that you have to know some of the inner workings of the command line tools and how the providers and so forth work. I played around with some wrappers written in plain C sharp to try and lift some of the complexity of MS Deploy and make a simpler API that we can use to perform the tasks related to deploying, the actual building of the packages, DAC pack and web zip files we've left up to our build servers and MS build, which also uses MS deploy as was said on the show. Mm. I think that my life would have been a lot easier if MS deploy had, had a better C sharp experience. It does have an API, but not a very good one. 
And I think it's probably the reason why some people say they prefer Octopus Deploy and such tools over MS Deploy and DACPAC. I think, however, we could use them together. I mean, Octus Deploy brings a lot more to the table with a UI and security and easier setup with certificates than just domain accounts and so on. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot of different ways to skin this cat, right? Microsoft's only going to put so much energy into these free tools, and pay tools are always going to have some advantages. And I noticed further down in the comment chain here that Paul Stovall of Octopus Deploy jumped in and had a part of that conversation as yep. well. Yep. So. There is an interesting mixture uh, to be had there. And, you know, in the end, you roll your own deploy. That's reality. And I suspect it's something we're going to be talking about today. Yep. So, Johan, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. Because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. Plus. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And uh, follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet. We jailbreak our Android phones with him. <laughs> Jailbreaking is for iPhone, buddy. <laughs> okay, whatever. See, I don't know. Details. I, 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 don't, I follow the law. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Gravity unlike, is a law. <laughs> unlike you people out there. You heathens. You criminals. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they've actually banished all of the, the cracked versions of Android and things. You know, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's very interesting. I don't know. Yeah. You got me riled up now, Carl. I know. Well, I knew you would like that. Okay, let's bring back to the show Rob Mensching. He's uh, probably best known as the benevolent dictator of the Wix tool set. In 2013, he co-founded Fire Giant to provide tools and support for creating Windows installation packages with the Wix tool set. Prior to Fire Giant, Rob was principal software engineer at Microsoft, where he worked on setup and deployment for Microsoft Office, Windows, in Visual Studio. Welcome back, Rob. I think it was March 2012 when we talked to you last. Yeah, I know it's been a few years since we talked. Yeah. Disturbing number of years. <laughs> we talked about Wix then. I remember being impressed with it, but I never actually got a chance to use it. Boy, it must just be really, really robust now. Yeah, it's it's a you could say it's a really old project at a certain level. It's it's been battle hardened through lots and lots of different deployments and different different usages. So yeah. uh and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of downloads. We we're all over the place all around the world. And so I've been busy in the last 3 years at FireGiant. So I went back when I used to actually ship Windows desktop apps. This <laughs> is kind of funny. <laughs> I think Back in the old Back days. In the old days. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done it in a while, but uh, I do remember using the the stuff that was built into um, to Visual Studio, which I believe was a version of Install Shield. That was like a community version or something. So there there was a free version of Install Shield in Visual Studio. There is also the oh, setup and deployment projects. Right. Uh, some people call it VSI. That yeah. was another thing that was part of Visual Studio back then. Yeah, we used that too. Yeah, both of those were available. Okay, so if you want to build uh, MSI packages, Windows installer packages, then uh, that's what Wix does. It does a good job of, of creating those MSIs, right? So that's that's what Wix is best known for is building our MSI packages. Yeah, we're we changed our name, I don't know, a number of years ago, probably not too long after we talked actually, from Windows Installer XML to just Wix. Yeah. And because we're looking we're moving beyond the Windows installer and looking at how that how we go beyond just MSI and because deployment is changing. So we build installation packages. This is a conversation that was going on at the Ignite conference about MSI being retired because I don't know. I 
I kind of trust it. It just works. Yeah. So the we're in transition. I'd say that we're in transition in deployment. Uh, there's a lot of change going on in the world. Uh, you guys are chatting about MS Deploy and some of the other things in that space. Uh, that's on the server side, which yeah, essentially in chaos right now, which is it's, it's fantastic <laughs> to... Well, I mean, you know, we could talk... It's fantastic to watch because you get so much new ideas, so many yeah. new ideas coming out of it. It's, it's really cool. On the client side, in Windows, we've been really stable for a long time. And the Windows installer, as you said, is a thing that you trust, that admins trust, they know how it works, it's designed to be uh, trustworthy, it's designed to be stable, right? And it's designed to install anything on the Windows and client. And you can install even stuff on the Windows server, although as I mentioned, cloud has thrown all that into chaos, so we're sure. seeing less in the cloud. Um, but we're in this transition even from installing anything in the world as you've always been to your desktop to installing stuff from app stores. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so there, we're, we're even in transition that way too. So what you were hearing at, uh, at Ignite is the statement, we would like a lot of your apps that do not need to have complete access to the computer to become apps and start looking at coming through the app stores, right. which have a different way, a different experience for users, particularly less computer savvy users of getting software on their machine. Cause that pattern has certainly been proven out to work. People will get software from app stores. Now, uh, before we go on, I want to disambiguate between Wix, the, the tool set, um, the installation tool set thing and Wix.com, which has sprung up recently as a, uh, an applica- a web application building, you know, wizard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they started a long, quite a while ago. There's an Israeli company that went and found a three layer domain and decided to name their company that. Um, well, I remember having a conversation, and I was still back at Microsoft about, do we have to worry about trademarks? Which, of course, you know, the lawyers first go there yeah. kind of thing. And in the end, they decided that, nah, we'll be fine. Uh, so they got to go off and. They have Wix, we have Wix. So the lawyers in the said, as long as you guys continue to call yourself Wix Toolset, we don't worry. We're not going to be too worried about them, you know, suing All you. Right. I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, yeah. And they just want to make sure that, you know, my, my P&L when I was at Microsoft for running this open source project wasn't large enough to have a budget to go out and try to get a trademark <laughs> for it. <laughs> so, so they it's, decided not to do so. It's an open source uh, installer. Go ahead, sue me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it could be bad if they forced us to change our name, yeah, I guess, because yeah. you've seen open source projects in the past lose those kind of battles where they'll lose their name and they'll have to, you know, change it to something else. But I bet you guys were registered first. Well, to see, that's the thing. Like I said, my PL wasn't big enough, so we weren't registered. Yeah. Um, oh, I see. I mean, when, when did you register the domain? Uh, we had, well, we didn't have Wix.com because it was a three-letter domain, and I'm right. certain someone was squatting on it for some, yes. you know, non-zero sum of money. So mm. we had Wix.toolset.org. We've had that for, we've had that forever. 2008. Right? You know? Yeah. Okay. There you go. Hey, look, there's uh, your so phone number. Not- <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so from ancient history, we've had, you know, Wix.toolset.org. We are not Wix.com. It's actually kind of funny when they started making, like, they'll advertise. Like, they advertised in the Super Bowl this last year. Wow. And I got, like, Facebook things from people I never hear from going, hey, saw dude, I saw your Super Bowl commercial. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, no. We're not, we are not a website building tool. There you go. That's fair. Um, let's talk about app stores for a minute there. Cause sure. 
I don't know. I'm not a huge fan, to be honest. I think it's a necessary evil. Yeah, I just don't like um, wading through lots and lots of garbage to find something that's well, actually it, it, yeah. good. Well, I, that's not significantly different than wading through the internet to try to find the app you want. True. Uh, so there, there's something to be said for having a place to sell things, to, to have a place where you go to get applications. Yes. And there is something to be said for uh, a central or an authority, but not be central, but an authority that says, these are safe, these are good, yes. we verify them, Agreed. those kind of things. You know, it's like, yeah, Windows hasn't really had that in the past. You kind of knew who to trust and you went from there. Right. So the sort of whitelist mentality versus the blacklist mentality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, they, they do a lot to integrate it into the operating systems now and things like that. I, I think it's just, it's a user expectation that has changed yes. um, with the way the phones work and things like that. And, you know, they, they make stronger claims about, uh, you know, because we've tested them, you can trust the applications that come from these app stores. Right. Um, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence of the, you know, if someone really wants to create an app and really want to mess with it, you know, they're, they're still able to do that. Um, but yeah. I mean, they're trying to make stronger claims about what come out of the app stores as well. Uh, but, you know, for smaller, you know, vendors on the Microsoft platform, uh, you had to stand up quite a bit to sell software. You know, you had to go get your own credit card thing, you had to go get a thing to download stuff and all that. Well, now if you're really, really small and you just want to build an app, you can just toss an app store and have it. Microsoft can sell it for you. Right. Essentially. Although, there. So, yeah, it's a question of, do they really sell it for you? Like. And it's certainly like heaven help you if you type something like Facebook into the the app store, right? Like just yep. piles of crap. Yeah, well, yeah. And so, so you know, you're you're talking, you're looking at the 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 stuff and the curation problem of yes. applications, which isn't you know that's not a new problem. Uh, you can argue that's not whether it's been solved well or not. Um, you know, review systems. I have a a, a general a, a hate hate relationship with review systems because <laughs> <Yep. laughs> it's yeah. basically the people that are whatever aggrieved that you walk up and give you a whole bunch of grief, and then maybe a couple people that you know are those that leave comments come up and leave you a, you know a positive. So that system has never worked very no. well for me no. in the end in the large. But anyway, so app stores are interesting. Uh, they're they're bringing it. They have brought it into Windows 8, and now um, they're expanding it in Windows 10. Because in Windows 8, you had to rewrite your app to bring it to the store. Right. Now with Project Centennial, or what they call it, which has been officially named the Desktop Bridge, you can now bring your Win32 apps in. Yep. We um, love that. And so, yeah, so it's like, hey, I don't have to rewrite, as a developer, I don't have to rewrite my app to now get into an app store experience. Now the Windows Store becomes honestly a bit more um, interesting, I believe, for developers. Certainly less uh, uh, costly to get your app in there if you have an existing app. So that's been a big shift. And that's just one more example of how that's how the big shift right now, how desktop deployment is changing. Where I talked about server being a chaos, these app stores are changing mm. desktop deployment. So that, that, and that's been a real focus for us right now. Yeah. You know, where are we going into uh, the, the future of app stores? Do you guys yeah. have plans to go cross-platform with this? I'm thinking like a Xamarin solution. You might be able to do clients for Mac, for uh, even Linux and, you know, and uh, and hit all of the app stores that way. Yeah, so at Fire Giant, we've started doing more. Now that this is my job, right? Because Wix Toolset was always kind of this side job when I was at Microsoft. But now that it's my focus and working at Fire Giant, we put all of our energy into what does it take to take the Wix Toolset and you know meet people so i i could actually sit here and think about problems like that um app stores for phones 
our our seem you know through our limited experience have been are very very closed right um and there isn't anything about bringing what you've done in the past to them uh it's just you write specifically for the phone it's a whole new experience yeah. um project continuum and and you know microsoft platforms a little different scale from your phone all the way to your desktop that's, that's something different but very nascent all right so when you look at it from a, a phone and a store, you're like, that's really a very specific type of tooling. Could we build very specific kind of tooling in that space? And the answer is we might, but uh, it, it doesn't seem like the space for us to go and meet a whole lot of people right now because they have tools in there that they've been using for quite a while. Um, now, when you look at it from if you're a desktop developer and you've been using Wix and you've been in those spaces, can we help you get to the app store? And though that's obvious, yes. And so we've done work with Microsoft we announced it in build. We released it a few weeks ago of the tooling that will take your Wix code. You can build an MSI, ship it on Windows 7. You can ship it on Windows 10. You can ship it anywhere, right? Because it's an MSI on any Windows platform. Mm. Uh, you can build it with our tooling. You can build an AppX package from your same source code. We do the work to create your AppX package for you that you can then upload to the store. Now, your question about going cross-plat from even beyond just going up to the app store for the windows app store is, uh, should we do Mac and should we then do Linux? Um, and the Mac OS desktop space, from what we've seen, the numbers are still really small for the number of people building apps for that. So it's not a market that we know a, a lot about. So going into it, hmm, maybe, maybe not. Linux is more interesting, particularly with .NET Core, yeah. where we might have uh, you know, people that have historically been Windows developers writing and stuff that they know, or maybe like if they're focused Windows first, but would like to go cross-plat, right? That's a space that we think is very, very interesting that we don't have anything solid right now, but we're definitely looking at as .NET Core kind of comes along. Um, honestly, their tooling has delayed a whole lot of what we might do, you know, because I was talking .NET Core team and the project JSON changes to MS Build and all that was yeah. a whole lot of how do we integrate into this tool chain? And the answer before was very confused. And the answer is, well, wait, we're going to do MS Build. And we're like, cool, we know MS Build. <laughs> yeah. We'll integrate into that. If that's what you guys are going to do. Yeah. So the, that's a long answer to your question of is cross-plat. What we look at is like, where do we meet developers that we know and take them to these other places? Yeah. Um, we will, we're, we're definitely looking at it. Um, I personally volunteered on the .NET project to get them their Windows installer put together. Mm -hmm. So when you install the .NET Core, I helped a lot make that thing install. Uh, they use Wix. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, and so talking to them was, you know, it was good to kind of see where they're kind of going with Linux and, you know, Mac and stuff like that. So we'll see. I guess the answer is we'll see. There's we still were... a lot to do. Yeah, we were we were talking about how this uh, Pokemon Go game got hacked and stuff. Have any vulnerabilities ever made it to uh, the level of something that you guys need to be concerned about? Uh, so, so Wix for for many 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 years, we were very very proud that we had not had any security vulnerabilities in us. Uh, we build tooling, of course, to make it. Uh, possible for people to get once they have a fix for a security vulnerability in their product to mm -hmm. get that deployed. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about patching and getting those small updates out or how do you push out to many people, all that thinking. We had a whole lot in there, but we had never had to apply it to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. Until uh -oh. last year. Um, end of, well, I guess, yeah, it was end of last year. Yeah, that's right. End of last year. Um, and I've forgotten his name, but someone came out with a, um, he, he had found a vulnerability that is 
actually an inherent behavior of windows that mm. as soon as we saw it, we just sat there going, how did we, how do we not see this? Mm. Um, and for the, the attack is for it's, it's yeah. <laughs> um, so the attack is only, only affects XE based installers. So if you ship just a windows installer package, an MSI package, yeah. uh, you are not affected. Right. But as we've gone along, you, you notice very few products of any size ship just an MSI package anymore. They're usually much more complicated. Yeah. Visual Studio is, I don't know, 130 some you know MSIs and stuff like that. Mm. Office is, I don't know, 80 or something. When you look at it, they're they're com- constructed from a whole lot of MSIs and wrapped with an executable that then orchestrates the placement of them onto the machine. Yeah. So everybody was shipping XEs. And the attack is really simple. Put a DLL next to any XE that is named as one of the um, imports to that XE that it expects. And the XE will load from its local directory over anywhere else on the machine. Of course. Of course, right? Of course. That's what you... Yeah, that's how it works. So they read so, a stub, basically. They read a stub yeah, so, that has the same exact interface as uh, as the DLL, and then it yeah, and takes control the first time it gets called, and boom, you're done. Exactly. So you basically you hook DLL load, <laughs> and then boom, as soon as your DLL is up. And so other um, installation technologies, the uh, actually elevate front. So, you know, when you double click on them, they immediately prompt to say, hey, you must elevate. So uh, those guys were affected right from the get-go and you then had elevated privileges right out of the bat. Right. The engine that Wix toolset provides doesn't elevate up front. So you would get arbitrary code running, but as the user, but there are still loopholes that you could jump through to then get your code in the right place, do this and then do that. And then so you could get your code running elevated. There's a basic problem with humans when they're installing software. They will say yes to anything just to get the software installed, right? I, I remember Mark Miller's install buddy uh, application that it would, it would just basically press the the next button for you automatically. Install buddy. <laughs> that, that, that's funny. Uh, we <laughs> digression. We try to convince our customers to remove next buttons in general. Yeah, right. If there's nothing to answer. Just take them out. And that's been a nice progression we've seen that's in good. modern installers. There's no next buttons. Yeah. But going back, so any XE that had this DLL. And so you're like, great. So now what would happen is you'd go to the internet, you download setup.exe, and then you run it. And you're okay, but it probably put in your downloads folder. That's where like, you know, Chrome, Firefox put things by default. Yeah. And yeah. I think I eat but in, you know, if you put it in a clean directory, it wasn't a problem. All right. So you're like, all right, great. So I had to have somehow get a bad version.dll or msi.dll or some other well-known DLL um, into that directory where my setup.exe is and not notice it when I run it. And you're like, well, why would I ever go to the internet and download version.dll and put it in my DLL mm. directory? Mm. Well, you wouldn't, <laughs> right? Mm. Except there's another vulnerability or you could argue as vulnerability behavior in the browsers, especially the ones that do auto downloads where you create an iframe that then says, please download this DLL for me automatically. And because the browsers are so eager to help you download files, they actually download that file and get it into the downloads directory for you. Mm. Right. And because there's no prompt, it doesn't stay there. So when you close the browser, it ends up getting deleted, but it's there long enough that if you actually click on setup.exe, right, it comes down there. The iframe had downloaded invisibly for you into your right. download folder. Wow. Attack DLL. And boom, they're in. And yeah, once you've got that DLL in the downloads directory, you have an opportunity to hack every single setup you run from then on. Yeah, and you only need one. Any XE that you run out of there, and you don't usually, I hope, most people don't run XEs out of download folder, except probably the setup.exe, right? Which you then delete when you're done. Right. 
Wow. <laughs> so it was a fantastically simple uh, attack vector that we all just kind of sat there going, wow. Kind of like I'm feeling right now. Like, I can't believe how many years has Windows been out and that has been vulnerable the whole time. It's a little bit of a confluence of, you know, this what they call drive-by download, that idea yeah. of an iframe. That, that wasn't popular in browsers in the past because browsers didn't do that. So the chances of this happen generally were like, well, you had to arbitrarily download an arbitrary file and leave it in your same folder as an exe. Right. When you look at the threat model for that, you're like, ah, <laughs> right. right? Like, what did you just do to yourself? Don't do that. But now that all software comes through the <laughs> internet... And it's all going yeah. through your browser, and it's all landing in your download folder. Like, there yeah, so it's, it's not been forever, but it's been ten years. It has been ten years. It, it feels like it's more been like when browsers started auto updating all the time and making things faster and faster and easier, easier to download stuff mm. on the internet. Which maybe it's been ten years, but I didn't think it'd been ten years. Wow, maybe the vulnerability's been out there for ten, and it just manifested itself later. It became much more obvious with the whole drive-by download thing of the iframe and that kind of stuff. That's where the attack vector really came in. Yeah, and maybe I'm overplaying this because you know where that the the auto update thing really came in the battle between IE9 and Chrome, right? When they mm-hmm. were shipping yep. versions yep. like every other day. Yeah. Yep. And you yep. couldn't ask people to install them, so Chrome just got into that routine yep. of every time you close Chrome, it updates. Yep. Which was brilliant, mm-hmm. but that's yep. like 2010, 2011. Okay. okay, so five years. Years. five years. Okay, there. I would feel better with five. <laughs> okay, let's go with five. <laughs> we'll go with five. Now I don't feel as old. Well, hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to announce a new app. Oh. Pokemon Go DLL Whacker. Oh. Available in your app store. <laughs> but you have to have a jailbroken phone. Installer created with the Wix toolkit. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that would do. But actually, it's time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is John Downs. Congratulations, John. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for John Downs. And John wins the D-Experience subscription just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And you don't know what that is. Go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And now we'd like to ask our guests, Rob, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what do you think you would buy? What would I buy? Yeah, what would oh you buy? My. Um, I haven't bought much technology outside of a new computer in a while. Um, I need a new laptop. Okay. I would probably go, I'd probably look at a Surface Book yeah. to start. Yeah. Uh, that'd probably take about half of it, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> I think that's probably where I'd start. Uh, what other things? I don't know. Uh, Sonos wireless speakers. Oh, I don't have those. Yeah, they're wired great. in my house. Yeah, yeah I've, 
I've looked at it for a long time going, yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, so that might be all right. Um, I'm going to probably, then I don't know if I had, if I had my last thousand, I, I might put a, a down payment on like a Tesla three or something like that. Just, you know, <laughs> in hopes that one of those will roll off soon. You can buy the windshield. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Well, you, you know, got to start somewhere. Get in line. Yeah. I think it's just a charging plug actually. Yeah. 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 Well, get you in line to actually get when they come out. Yeah. Yep. True enough. So tell us about Fire Giant. What's this all about? Uh, so Fire Giant is my taking Wix to the next level company. We provide support for those companies that were always kind of on the edge. They're looking at Wix and going open source. Can we count on it? Can we not? This would be a big bet deploying all our software. And a lot of them stayed on the um, sidelines. It's just not comfortable picking it up. Yeah. And so Fire Giant came out and the first thing we'd offered right off the top was, look, we will provide support so that that open source project that is free, you know, free like a puppy, uh, we'll take care of your puppy for you. Uh, we'll, we'll fix bugs. <laughs> We'll answer all your questions, anything you need that basically you get to treat it like real software now. Um, so that was the first thing we came out with right away. Cause it was, you know, straightforward, put together our support systems. We had a number of customers actually knocking down our door saying, Hey, we'd like to use Wix. We see that you have a company. Can we pay you for support? The answer, of course, was yes. Since then, um, and that's been great. Since then, we've, we, we also do some custom development. That's not, you know, just to help people get onto the Wix tool set, a lot of migrations or just taking their existing code moving forward or sometimes just a code review, like they've used Wix for a long time, we review it for them. Those right. are our services. Just in the last month, we launched our first product, which is, yay, the very exciting thing, the, <laughs> the thing that all software people want to do, which is launch products. Our support's great, uh, but launching yeah. your first product is like, yay, I have something I can show you. Um, and so it's what we call the Wix expansion pack. <laughs> um, okay. It's kind of tools that we found that as we were doing more work uh, for customers, things that we added on top of the Wix tool set that we thought, hey, you know, for people that looking for extra tools, hey, this is what we can build on top of this tool set. The big one that we have in there is this, um, what we call the Apex extension. So you add a line of code to your Wix code, you get this Apex extension from us at FireGiant, and suddenly now in your build system, you're building both an MSI and an Apex package. Ah. So you can MSI, ship it to all of your existing users, take that AppX package and put it up in the Windows Store to go meet those new customers. And as we were talking before about Project Centennial um, and or, sorry, the desktop bridge uh, that you can now take your Win32 apps, it literally is plug this thing in and uh, hit build. You'll get some warnings maybe about stuff that doesn't work inside AppX and then boom, upload that to the store and you're done. Um, so that's a big thing that we offer that we, uh, as part of the Wix expansion pack at FireGiant. Awesome. And we have many more things going from here. It, it, it's cool. And it, it just sort of, it's the classic thing that happens to a successful open source project that yeah. you get to a point where you need a professional organization behind it to, to really be adopted at the level that some people want to adopt it at. And that's exactly right. There's, I've seen two models, and there's probably subtleties to them, but the big ones I've seen is one, you get a foundation, um, and that foundation provides the support, and you get a lot of big customers together. And Wix is actually part of the .NET foundation, but that, that handles a lot of the legal and support systems, which is great for the Wix toolset. Mm. But there's no foundation that says we're going to pay people to fix bugs and make sure that this project that's very important continues to live on no matter what. Um, and so I like the place personally, and that's why I started my company this way, is the commercial companies that if you want to go get the free open source tools, you can do that. But if you want to have support and you want to pay somebody to make sure that the tools 
meet your needs and you can get answers to whatever questions you might have on it and get bug fixes on your timeline instead of just depending on volunteers. I like that opportunity and that's what FireGiant brought to the Wix tool set. Mm. Um, and then we're trying to take it farther where things that we never could have built in the open source project because they take too much effort, too much time. Um, we can now spend you know, money <laughs> inside, get people working for a very long time on really hard problems like the SAPX problem. And then we can provide tooling on top of the Wix tool set. So if you want to go beyond the Wix tool set, you can go to a company and say, hey, let's get these things that go beyond what just the volunteers are able to mm-hmm. build themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's, to me, it's a, you know, it's a direct way to help the community and the commercials meet both of their needs, you know, their confidence in it, and then also continue to enhance and grow the, the Wix tool set. Because you know, most of the guys at FireGiant work in the Wix tool set as well, fixing yeah. bugs, doing releases, doing the stand-up meetings, you know, all those kinds of things that we do to be a good project. You know, there's a lot of guys still out there doing that. So I imagine that creating a company around an open source project has got to be fraught with its own challenges in terms of uh, how you work. Uh, I, I imagine that, you know, people are remote. Some people you might have on site, I'm not sure. But how do you exactly do that? And, and what was difficult about it or, or challenging? So there, there are two angles to uh, the the complications. Uh, one is legal, and then the other one is uh, what I consider community. Um, the legal side, of course, you know, the WIST tool set is an open source project, so we have to make sure that if we make changes to the WIST tool set, that we publish them back out to the community per the open source license. And we certainly do not want to run afoul of the license on the community by not publishing changes that we make uh, to the WIST tool set back out. Yeah. So we've built systems inside FireGiant that make it very clear, this code right here, anything Thing in this space is Wix toolset code and falls under the purvey of the MS reciprocal license, which is the license that the Wix toolset is under, and therefore needs to follow these rules. And then in this separate space, um, we have code that is not, that is FireGiant only, right, can have the FireGiant copyright, and then has to integrate with the Wix toolset via its published interfaces and things like that. So it's a, it turns into a to satisfy legal uh, requirement, we put together engineering processes to make sure that there's a nice break between the two and we don't have, you know, that, and honestly, when we make a fix, it's very clear where when you need to publish it. That's our yeah. primary thing, right? We made a fix for a customer. It goes here. Therefore, that needs to be published within a month is what we try to do. Usually, we get it up there in a week or two, but it, within a month is what we try to do. So that, that we try to make sure it stays within the legal. And that's just lawyers who are very cold and, you know, letter of the law kind of thing. Yeah, Community is trickier because I've been the you know project leader of the waste tool set. I didn't want people to think, oh well, Rob's created this company and now he's going to start stealing all the stuff out of the com- out of the community and taking everything out of it. And you know he's only going to do stuff at Fire Giant. He's like, <laughs> I don't want people to think that you know we're trying to take away from all that work that everybody's that so many people have done in the community. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, so there there's been a lot of decisions we've done that we you know, think about for a long time. Um, and I've been probably very, very cautious in the, what are the things that FireShine should do beyond, you know, the Wix tool set. So we spent a lot of time running, like I said, we fix bugs in the Wix tool set. We, we do the standups and put together the meeting notes after every meeting and have everybody get together, record the calls, post them on YouTube. Um, we make sure the mailing lists keep running and all those kinds of spaces in there. And then, you know, we keep contributing. We keep participating and moving the Wix tool set yeah. uh, forward um, to keep that community going, which is, 
I mean, like I said, it has hundreds of thousands of downloads. I have to go look, but you know, we get a big download. It'll get up to 120,000 downloads before the next version kind of comes out. I mean, sometimes, I'm, I'm poking around GitHub right now. You're maintaining both three and four of which yeah. you got contributions this week on both of them. And, yeah, uh, and so, it's, it's, it's a variety of people contributing to this project. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, that one of the things that we do that's, I don't, I'm not, it's a little different from other projects. I, I'm not deep enough into the really big projects, but I think the Python guys probably have a lot of the same problems we do. But we have people that are really dependent on this at like industrial strength scale. Like sure. it's just really big. And so we maintain Wix 3 and every release it has no, like, we don't do breaking changes in right. Wix 3. Like, and if we do, we make them clear. So like, we, we, don't, we, we, we don't put people into a tizzy over everything. Right. That security vulnerability I was talking about was like one of the first times where we had breaking changes, which we've always said, we will do breaking changes for security. <laughs> you will right. have to change your code for security, maybe. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, we do a lot of work in 3, and that's why there's 3 and 4, then is where we have a lot of language improvements, because we can clean up things, we can do breaking changes and stuff like that. And then we write a converter that helps you move from 3 to 4. Now, it's, it's one way, because writing the converter back from 4 to 3 would be a lot of effort, and nobody wants and to do that. Who would do that? You can, <laughs> right. And, and, you know, and you, just, you do the moves, you see how it works. If you like 4, you stay on 4. If you don't like 4, you do, you know, revert, and you go back to where you were in your source control. No problem. Um, mm-hmm. So we do a lot of work to make sure that the Wix toolset runs like, like uh, a professional project. Sure. Um, it, we're not flashy. I mean, we don't get, you know, we don't go out there and make lots of, oh, look, they did this release and this release. release. No, we're very yeah. uh, measured, very direct. We have these things that we want to do. And then we do these, our releases then are as a result, big. Plan carefully. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, we're careful and um, calculating, I guess is kind of the way I would say it. And, you know, we're, it's been that way for a long time. Even two, we supported for a very, very, Wix two, we supported for a very, very long time. You know, the funny thing is when you said, oh, you know, it's open source. I'm like, so I just go to GitHub by reflex. And then it hits me after I find it there. And I'm like, wait, this thing predates GitHub. Like, this, this, this project started in 2004. So, uh, of course, I went to SourceForge. Yes. The project's still there. Registered yes. in March 31st of 2004. That, yeah. my friends, is an old open source project. Uh-huh. Holy man. Yes, yeah, like I actually sent a tweet out uh, some number of months ago. Just curious, like I, I was trying not to offend anybody. It's really hard to do in a tweet. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I was basically saying, um, is Wix the oldest .NET still alive .NET open source project? And huh. I think, and the one that it's, not, I think NUnit is older. Wow. Yeah, that's you're, that's what you're talking now. Yeah, right. It's like, it was like NUnit. And I'm like, yeah, NUnit was before us. That's certainly true. But like, you're talking about that lineage of open source projects. That's because right. Because Wix is from like 2003, 2004, somewhere in there. Yeah, well, it was published in 2004. Right. Uh, it first started inside Microsoft in 99. Well, sure. Okay. Because that was when .NET was being released. No. Was being born. Yeah. Yeah, being born. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But the first version of Wix was written in VBScript. There you go. Wow. that's horrifying it wix 2 was the port from vb script to dotnet framework in 2002 one i forget i have to i'd have to go back and double check that so obviously you know a lot about wix and where its strengths and, and weaknesses are and what type of project would you say is really really where wix shines so wix does 
the deployment of large uh, projects, like, unlike anything else, let me say it differently. At Fire Giant, we don't we go to customers, and they're huge customers, like billion dollar companies. When they come to us, and they're looking at Wix, going, "This is the thing we think will save us tremendous amounts of time." Okay. Um, and it will actually be able to scale to the set of problems that we have. So that's where Wix um, is, is essentially alone on the desktop deployment side. Big um, projects. And, yeah, huge projects. It does extremely well, or because it's designed to scale at that level. I mean, Office uses Wix. Oh, Studios wow. uses Wix, right? Yeah, I mean, most of Microsoft, if they're building an MSI, if not all of Microsoft, it's they're using Wix. Right. So, because that's the one, it, it is designed to scale that. So it does really, it does well at that. When you get to that level, there's all these important features of Wix that you're like, oh, this makes my life possible. Yeah. Like, not just good, possible. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's a big, the other place where Wix can do really well um, is at the very low end, where people don't want to spend any money at all. Because <laughs> um, right. it's free and open source, right? Uh, so, you know, if you don't have any money, spend some time, you can get it, just download it, play with it go for free from there. Um, in the mid-market, there's a lot of competitors for building um, uh, uh, Windows installations at that space. And so in that space, the Wix toolset has a learning curve on it that you do need to learn it. Um, that power that we expose to the high end that makes their jobs possible can shine through maybe a little bit too much in the mid-market where they're like, ah, this is a little more time than I'm willing to spend. Let me just go buy something instead. Right. So we've seen that happen. Um, uh, uh, fair bit so but it's not to say it won't scale and work perfectly well there but it's it's just some place where some people kind of flip the time money equivalent Um, and that's honestly an area like at fire giant that we look at going what would we do to help the wix tool set hit span all of these spaces really really well right so we're we're working that to help take the wix tool set not just to more of those markets like hit people that before were like ah wix is too complicated what can we do to help that um help that space also where then we're looking at like how do we take wix into the future as you know to ignite where windows installer is is very stable very capable but not moving forward anymore which means in some amount of time it may not be the the major solution so we're looking at how do we take the wix tool set which is not tied to windows installer and move it to the future Right, and how do we yeah. move it like that? So one of the biggest issues for desktop developers is you've installed something, now how do I get an update to you? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Click Once tried to address that, and I even tried using Click Once recently, uh, last year, I think, maybe the year before, for a WPF project, and we found that certain uh, antivirus programs wouldn't allow them through the firewall or something, and like we had all sorts of problems with that and had to just give up on it. But uh, short of writing your own update mechanism, does Wix uh, support any mechanism for doing that quickly and easily? So we have it there in the, uh, I talked about um, XEs being used where that security availability was finally able to come through to us. The yeah. XE, we have an XE called the burn engine, which does have a auto update or a, a detect update mechanism in it. So you can um, have, it's actually an Atom feed that you could put on the internet. And if you look at the Wix tool set, this is how we do our own updates. And you could basically point the engine at that and it will tell you, hey, there's a newer version. And then it will automatically, or it can download that and install the new one. Yeah. What a great, what a great idea. Uh, Atom RSS, perfect for that. Yeah. And it's really cool because you can actually read the feed. 
<laughs> you can go yeah. to the Adam feed and read. And it's just a, it's a blog post of the changes made to the app. And of course, the enclosure is the newer version of the, the installer. So it works out great. Um, the, it's not as push button easy as click ones inside the Visual Studio environment, yeah. um, as is with Wix toolset. Again, it's, we provide the low level mechanism so that it will scale to whatever you know, size that you may need, which means you have lots of different ways of configuring it, which is going to be, you know, again, that criticism of the simple thing that, you know, again, we could look at making it push button easy, but yeah, it's all in there. Great. And the Wix toolset is a living example. If you look at the source code, like, oh, that's how they use the functionality for the Wix toolset itself. Okay. Yeah. And, and click once is, yeah, click once and I have a lot of differences about the correct way to approach uh, yeah. software. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I wonder how much App Store should just take charge of that. If you're working through an App Store, you know, shouldn't shouldn't your app then just be pinging the App Store for, is there a new version? Install a new version. You know, bandwidth yeah. being cheap, you know, patching being dangerous, just get me the new version right over the old one. Yeah, so it, when you go to the App Store, you end up at a new in, um, installation technology, the AppX right. technology, and they have mechanisms by which all that happens, and it's all invisible to you and um, mostly invisible to the user if they set the setting and stuff like that. You can still see it if you want to, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, in, in the App Store world, it's completely closed from you, um, which is different from if you want to go control it yourself. Yeah, I mean, the question is, is that a good thing? It's a great thing for applications that fit within an App Store. Right. We just did work with a customer um, that we just did with FireGiant where they actually wanted to have several different feeds because they'd have breaking changes that were down to users in like doctor's offices. Like, this kind of software they put that would bring down the server and then the server would lay out the client and then the clients would auto-update from the central server within a doctor's office, right? Recreating WSUS instead of a doctor's office. Right, but they wanted to control it from their own web server, and they didn't want to have the doctors have to do any WSUS because they right. didn't. Like, and it's like the branch office scenario where WSUS is too much. Yeah, but I want mm. something simple. WSUS is only good in a large corporate environment. This is Windows Update Services. This is stuff we talk about on Run As, right? And it's yeah. Yeah. when you have people whose job it is to deploy to thousands of desktops. This makes total sense. A doctor's office, right. forget it. Right. And their, their goal, honestly, the way they talked about it was they want to be able to get the teenager from the high school to do the updates for the doctor overnight. Right. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the way they viewed it. Right. Cause it wasn't necessarily the doctors that were going to do it. It was, you know, someone that was slightly more technical savvy was the way they put it that would be able to do this without any training. Yeah. yeah. Right. You right. basically, you want a wizard. Yeah, actually, they didn't want it. It was even less than a wizard. It was go. But it was when do you want to do it? And that's why they had multiple feats because what would happen is doctors would end up with different uh, versions that were not compatible or they weren't able to move to the new one because they had to move all these records along and stuff like that. So they had, you know, a, a system by which they had to move across all their customers. And in that case, you're like the app store. You're like, cool, push out this one version. You're like, no, 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 no. You can't push out one version. Right, it's, there's not one central place. It's right. different for all these different users, and that's where the app stores are like are too simplistic, and you need something a bit more um, nuanced. And so, again, this is the deployment is where the realities of your application come true. Right, whatever decisions you made and how you store memory and put things on disk and all that kind of stuff, how you lay out your files, deployment is going to is the thing that has to make that come true on the machine. 
And so when you get into those situations, you find that there's a lot of different ways that people want to slightly change the way they do deployment. And so the app stores, the one size fit all doesn't necessarily fit all deployments in the world, which is why I'm a little bit with you, Richard, on the, you know, our app stores, the end result. I'm like, yeah, they're great for consumer, but there's yeah. still going to be lots and lots of deployments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big, you might have a big parent company here, but many small branch offices or many small customers and how, but, but a complicated enough touch that you can't use a consumer deployment. So, you know, that, that in between ground, that's very challenging. Yeah. And so our goal is to make sure that we meet you wherever you want to be. And and, you know, as things change, maybe the cloud will change us more because there'll be one central server than maybe the app stores work. I mean, that's where the app stores kind of shine, right? There is one Facebook, so you can have one Facebook app in the app store. Yeah, there, there isn't one Facebook app in the app store. Let's just be very clear. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You, you can have one client that always talks to Facebook and, you know, so on and so forth. So right. you have different ways of solving different problems, but, and maybe if more and more, if more and more software starts to be written where there is the cloud and there is the client and there's only one of each of those kinds of things, yeah. then I think the app store model will uh, will take over. If we continue in the world where it's not that cut and dry, then we're still going to end up with lots of these different choices to make. And right now, I'm betting that chaos is going to reign supreme. Yeah, in some ways, software as a service represents the end of Wix. Uh, no, 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 no. No. No, not the end of Wix. End of one is a staller, maybe. maybe. End of Wix, no. No. Because Wix is a programming language. Right. That's like saying that you can't take, you know, C sharp and put it on the server. I'm like, right. wow. Yeah, you're thinking differently about it. You know, the bigger one is thinking JavaScript on the server versus in the browser, right? It's like same language, totally different application. I think Wix has a place in the server. Like we are looking at ways to take it so it ends up becoming the language that Windows developers, that's who we know most, right for building their packages wherever they need to go. Mm. Sure. And, and of course, I'm, I'm just jumping ahead here with the, if you're a doctor's office, you really want that Salesforce model of all we have is an internet connection. Oh, yeah, sure. Right? It, sure. When you get to the non-technical customer like that. However, you know, a doctor's office is a great example of where that isn't going to happen because of the data sovereignty constraints around healthcare. There's that. And, and also, in that case, what you're talking about, you know, from Wix point of view, where I look at it from like FireGiant and from Wix point of view, mm-hmm. that just means my customer moved from the ISV that was putting software in the doctor's office to the ISV that was putting software in a cloud. Right. Mm. They still have a deployment problem. Yes. But it turns out most deployment problems, the fundamentals are still always true. <laughs> like yeah. The problems of versioning and identity and moving files around and those kinds of things, they all still exist in all these different things. You get some you know, permutations in the server versus on the client. People don't throw their clients away. Servers are becoming much more throwaway, right? You know, your, your PC on your desk is your pet. Yes. Yeah. Th- those are different permutations, but the actual act to play stuff on the machines, very similar. Yeah. Now, I, and you, you, you just had to give me one of those moments where, like, you are someone who has thought about installation way more than most people. Because you, I, can, I, I, you I, can talk I, about I, it in a very broad, abstract way that totally makes sense. Hey, Rob. Right. Yes. You mind if I snag that Pokemon that's sitting right next to you right now? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, you're right. I, I geek out on setup to a level that most people are like, I don't even. And I guess here's the other kicker. I geek out a level that most people are like, I don't even care about this problem. <laughs> like, no. Can yeah. this just not exist? And so the space that I am operating in a lot of time is, yes, there's some very hard problems that most people don't want to think about. Right. But I'm going to work to make it so that they don't have to think about it. Yeah, if you're... 
Yeah, so I'm just grateful you're thinking about it so I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, you're making these problems go away. Well, you know, it's just not much different than .NET Framework making uh, reference counting go away. Yeah, true. Yeah. That problem's gone from mostly. Kind of. Kind maybe. of. Uh, I mean, how often do you really think about it? Every As long as you put everything in a using statement, you're probably... Yeah. We have more memory now. We don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> Solve the problem yeah. out of the way. All right, but now Rob, you're tripping into a whole other show, my friend, because yeah. that's a dangerous path. Well, Rob Manching, thank you very much. This has been fabulous geeking out with you about Wix, and good luck, and thank you for all your hard work. Uh, thank you. It's been fun, gentlemen. Definitely. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...